This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Um, the home of more talk. music and less talk. This is Sydney's easy place to relax. And next up, James Manning with back-to-back wonderful music, starting with Michael Bublé. <laughs> well, that's Paul Jackson. Welcome, Paul, to a that's special, why I'm not on air. Thank special you. Media Week podcast. We're down here at Nova Entertainment today. Of course, Paul Jackson, the Group Program Director of Nova Entertainment. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, James. I'm also joined today by Tony Thomas, Chief Marketing Officer Hello, over James. Entertainment. Hello, Tony. How are you? Now, I think both you chaps have been on the Media Week podcast before, so welcome back. We're doing something a little bit different today. We're going to be celebrating Smooth FM. It's hard to believe on Monday, I think May 21 this year, it will be seven years old. Mm. Mm. Who would have thought? Yeah, we we're just talking reception. Seven years gone, uh, um, gone pretty quickly. Gone in a flash, really. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I know. Um, but lots to talk about, obviously. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll go through a fair bit of detail today. The, um, I guess we can trace it back to the, the auction of the license for what became um, the new Sydney FM station. I think it was in two thousand and four, one hundred hundred and six million dollars. DMG Radio paid for that license. That they. That was after they'd picked up the licence for what was to become Nova. Back, I'm, I'm not sure if that auction was in 2000, but anyway, that was that went for about $155 million. So they spent a fair bit on um, staking out some ground. Yeah. That licence started up life as Vega FM. Mm-hmm. Now, were either of you... Neither you- of us were at Vega, and I joined the company a couple of months after Tony, and I think early 2011, one of our first conversations just was about these classic rock stations that they then were and neither of us had any history or attachment to Vega or, or even classic rock at that point so I think that was probably a real advantage for us yeah um, because we weren't clouded yeah so it launched as Vega didn't do as well as they'd hoped changed the format to classic rock a yeah. couple of years later which is when you both joined yep classic rock didn't really take off either it was a very crowded marketplace for classic rock stations at that point because Triple M, I think, were pretty pure classic rock. WS was much more. Well, they all suddenly started then. playing more classic yeah. rock and after we the were. classic rock started. <laughs> yeah. So there were three stations in a very, very similar place. And of course, you know, we just had the positioning statement as opposed to a brand name or any sort of key presenters on the station. So we weren't above a two share at any point. Yeah. And the, and the, and the, the interesting thing was when, when I was recruited, um, Kath um, talked a lot about Nova and the, and and the work that needed to be Kath done. O'Connor, on, that's Kath O'Connor, Kath O'Connor, yeah, the the work that needed to be done on Nova. There wasn't too much mention of uh, of classic rock at the time, and and the need for us to do a hell of a lot of work to try and reinvent classic rock into something successful. So that was a nice little surprise. There was a station joined. on a different floor here that somebody else owned. Well, that's ours too. <laughs> <laughs> because it was. Um because you don't change formats lightly, do you? It's a pretty big deal. Oh, no. So they must have realised pretty early on that classic rock wasn't going to do it either, and you needed to find... I, I guess I don't know the ins and outs, but being opposed to Vega uh, and everything that that was, moving to sort of the classic rock position was probably just to shore up and get it to a safe place, whilst then they were building, obviously, the, the, the front-line team and bringing people like myself and Tony in, and then looking longer term at what to do um, with the actual you know, frequencies. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about the... Um, the decision to to go with smooth. I, I know we covered this off when you launched back then. You thought it was a. It seemed a pretty obvious thing, Paul, to to go down this route. 
I think it seemed pretty obvious to all of us and in all of our conversations. We're very mindful as well. We're all pretty new team in 2010, 11, um, and we're really wanting to get Nova going again from, from where it was and evolving that. So a lot of focus, I think, was going into Nova at that point. We did do, Tony, you can correct me if I get this wrong, but we did do a piece of research just about the sort of the market opportunity in Sydney, Melbourne. I think we also thought that it was hard to, mar- to, to research something that doesn't exist and to get people to sort of have that mental leap of, what would this be like? It's like researching songs again you don't play or hear in the marketplace. It's a hell of a leap for people. Um, but we did a, a research piece that did show there was a gap in the market. Not necessarily actually the biggest gap either at that point in time, but I think we had a real clear focus on that that's what we felt um, we should do. Yeah, and I think the benefit, Paul being fresh into the market as well, is he could come in with kind of with with fresh ears, um, so to speak. So he, he came in and, and saw this opportunity pretty quickly. Um, and then, you know, when uh, I spent a fair bit of time going over a lot of the old research documents and it showed one what, probably why Classic Rock wasn't successful because it was, you know, an occupied space at that time and it also showed, obviously, that there was cl- clear white space for, for, a, for a format like, um, like uh, Smooth. So, yeah. so I think with, with Paul's fresh ears and then the research backing that up, I think we saw that, saw that that was the right path and the, and the right opportunity. Yeah, because the audience not getting catered to was largely, I think, females 35, 54, you sort of highlighted back then. Um, I, th- that would be true. I think also there were probably a lot of people, as it transpired, just weren't listening to the radio because there was nothing for them. You know, we, we knew, when we jumping a bit here, but with Michael Bubley coming on board to be sort of the launch ambassador, he had had the biggest selling record three years in a row pretty much him and Pink were, were dominant in terms of um, sales, but he wasn't getting played on the radio. That told us there was a gap for a certain style of music. Okay. Yeah. Um, you've done very well with your launch, am- well, with your ambassadors, haven't you? I mean, Michael Bublé was there, but you've had sort of endorsements for both Nova and the Smooth brand over the year, which seems to have resonated with the audience. Oh, absolutely. I think that's um, very important for us. And to get Smooth off to the right start, to come in with some gravitas and presence when there's a lot of cynicism, if we're honest, um, right at the beginning of... And it surprised me, but I guess that goes to us not being around for the previous attempts. Um, I think we have to get off to a really good start with Smooth to engage you know, the marketplace and the advertising agencies and people behind the scenes, never mind the listeners. So I think it's very important to have that kind of association. Yeah, my, yeah Michael Bublé just stood out for us. He had... He had the sort of personality and character that we really wanted for the brand. He had really, you know, unisex appeal. So, you know, he was he was obviously adored by women, but also admired by men. Um, very successful, right fit in terms of the, um, you know, the brand um, and and the and the music format itself. Um, but also, I suppose we took a quite a different approach to launching Smooth versus a lot of the other radio station advertising that was going around at the, at the same time, which was really to take a brand approach, you know, and take an emotional approach to launching the station around Smooth, around this relaxed proposition, rather than kind of, you know, ramming the music format down down people's, um, you know, down people's throats. We took this kind of relaxed proposition, which gave us a really good platform for them to launch a lot of other things off the back of it. How secretive did you have to be back then, but before word got out about what you're up to? We were really secretive, yeah. (laughs) There was less than a handful of people that knew what we were doing. When we decided around about January of 2012 that this is where we were going, I think we still had a research piece on the exact name of the station, just a few nuts and bolts to it. But one of the first things we did was approach Tony Harlow, who was running Warner Music at the time, and Tony and I went to see him just to talk about Michael Bublé. 
And would he be the ambassador? And just the idea of you know him doing an ad and representing the station, and that happened pretty much overnight. So that all moved very quickly. So I mean, he he was in the kind of kind of corner silence with us and two or three producers here. I went and met a lot of presenters. Um, obviously, were very well known over the previous twenty years in Sydney, Melbourne, particularly, and had successful careers with the view of potentially hiring people to fit smooth. But of course, they didn't know why I was talking to them. I think they thought, <laughs> put your best foot forward with big personality and they're going to do another big breakfast show and so on. So I met a lot of people that I'm, I'm leaving these meetings going, this just isn't going to work. This just isn't a fit. Um, and I think myself, Pete Clay, Rowan Brown, um, probably was about all that were across it. Um, and we then spent months hiring people. And we remember we hired Richard Wilkins basically to do an 80s show on a Saturday morning. And then about a week before lunch, we got him in this very room, played him the TV ad, told him what we were doing, and he was absolutely blown away. Mm -hmm. So most people didn't get revealed until a week or so out. Yeah, including our staff. <laughs> oh, that was yeah, we, yeah, it was actually about two and a half weeks out from launch that we stood up in front of all the staff and uh and revealed what we were going to do with the station i mean there was there were hints in the fact that we'd changed classic rock into sydney's 95.3 and melbourne's 91.5 which was effectively put it into autopilot mm -hmm. jukebox format yeah. so we had that platform then to kind of change but you know the staff really didn't cotton on we kept it pretty quiet tell me the you researched the name did you give um the people that you were using to research alternatives or did you just research smooth? Well, no, we gave them four or five. Yeah. I mean, the original name that we were going to go with, that we actually made the smooth jingles that we still play to this day, was going to be easy. Okay. Um, and we were very set on that. But actually in the research, the name smooth um, dominated every other name, including easy. So it was very, it became very hard to argue with that. Yeah, it was easy ninety five point three. So that was that was you know ninety one point five. So that that was going to be the name. But yeah, we did a piece of research. We um, we didn't trust our gut on that one. It was too important. And yeah, smooth came out really strong. So mm. you know, so um, it's a good decision in the end. A lot of the people at launch are still with the brand, of course. Mm. Um, the majority. Yeah, I mean. Which is a little bit unusual, isn't it, in, in an industry like this where people move around quite a bit, but success, you know, people start, want to stay, be associated with it? Yeah, and I think you know, yeah, and there's a different story to how we hired each of them. And Ty Frost, you know, for instance, was working in our digital team, had left the business and happened to send a demo tape in just in the hope of picking up some shifts. Uh, he was both in terms of his voice and his tone and his style, perfect for someone we could develop into a smooth presenter. So we looked you know, far and wide for the right kind of people. It was a unique, I think, you know, kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to start a radio brand from scratch and hire everybody on day one, and you can hand-pick who you're hiring, and that was on-air and off-air. And I think in the main year, we got, we got brilliant people, and most have, have stayed with us the whole time. Um, the ethos of the station right at the beginning, you know, to be easy, to be relaxing, you know, to make people feel good, um, and to be sort of caring and listener first. There was a certain type of presenter and profile we were looking for, and I think we've been very fortunate with wonderful talent and fitted the bill. And, and it's, you know, for, for we always say to the listeners it's, it, or to the staff here, it's not about, it's about the listeners, not about themselves and talking about themselves. So we have a very different tone to most other radio stations and a very different approach. And therefore, the presenters are really important. They might not be doing big personality moments, but they are the listener's friend and trusted, and they need to be there and be relied upon day in, day out. And I think part of the consistency of it being the same group of people on air resonates really strongly with uh, with the audience. Yeah, and you, I think got to remember as well that we launched this station after two, let's say, failed attempts. Um, you know, as you said, the you know the license 
um, was hugely expensive. It yeah. was, you know... The, the, 106 million. 106 million. The, you know, the previous two attempts weren't successful. So we had a business here, you know, that was a little bit cynical around, you know, the next iteration of, of 95.3 and 91.5. So there was a lot of pressure. And, yeah, there were people that were still here um, um, that were part of the Vega days. So... There was a lot of pressure. There was a lot for us to prove. Um, so whilst we were excited, we are also incredibly nervous. Watch. I think that possibly one of the most important things, just to give it time and to let it breathe. And our mantra internally was the same thing. We're not going to get hung up in any individual ratings book that we have. We've got to take the longer-term view. We've just got to let it start to connect with an audience. So we had a, a really clear vision for that. I think we did stay true to that with, um, with what we've done. The... I mean, back then, seven years ago, in this, um, I, I went into the Media Week archives on the weekend to find this um, this feature from uh, May uh, 20, um, 2012, of course. Now, I asked you, one of the questions was ratings expectations. <laughs> and um, nobody really likes to get pinned down, and Paul managed to dance around it. But do, you know how, do you know how that happened? <laughs> oh. So as you were on the way up the elevator, coming through reception, Tony's taken me aside, and I've told, told this so many times, not that I was insulted. He says, you know what you can be like sometimes? You get a bit excited and a bit carried away. Don't Just don't give any of your mad sort of predictions. I know you think it's going to be a number one station. Where I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. And then in the meeting, you two are chatting, and Tony comes out with like, it's going to get a 10 shares. <laughs> like, no, six it wasn't 10. I think I said a six within mm. a year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We, I was only a couple of surveys off, actually. So, mm. so yeah, I mean, we've done a couple of interviews around the launch, and, yeah, PJ was, you know, excitable. Um, and uh, I was playing the, you know... Enthusiastic. I was, playing, I was playing the careful card, like, come on, PJ, don't don't reveal a number, because we'll get, we'll get held to that number. Yeah. And then, of course, I revealed the bloody number. So mm. anyway, that was that. That's, that sure. Looking back, that was now quite conservative. Oh, it was now. So you, you, your quickest success came uh, in day parts. Um, yeah. Mornings, afternoons did reasonably well on evenings and weekends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the starting point of success was the weekends, and that's where it began to get traction for us. Um, and I think it became most people's second or third favourite station, whether you were younger or older, Triple J, Triple M inclined, Nova, what, whatever it was, you found a lot of people with, had heard about it, there was a good buzz for it, and I think people were trying it over the weekends. So our initial success and the first day parts we got to number one at were at the weekends, and obviously we put bigger names like Richard and David in there, and then most weekends we also had these kind of one-hour celebrity shows, whether it was Lionel Richie, Ronan Keating, Dolly Parton, you know, all, all manner of personalities, Michael Bublé, a lot of the time as well. So we've made a real push um, to get people listening and get them into the habit at the weekend because we appreciated we, it'd be very difficult to change people's breakfast listening habits. So it was going to weekends first, then hopefully picking up at nights and um, and, and work day ultimately was, was where it would come. And we, we knew it would be a much longer haul with breakfast, and our best breakfast strategy was to stick to the um, more music less talk. Yeah, we should mention uh, make mention of Melissa Doyle, who's a um, critical part of your, your yeah. weekend lineup uh, to this day. Um, some people thought you got your weekday breakfast strategies wrong, though, didn't they? They were thinking, oh, it's never going to be... Look, you haven't got name, big-name entertainers, which is probably a little bit rough on the <laughs> in hindsight on the on the teams you did have working breakfast yeah i think un, uh, i think some people was probably really underplaying <laughs> it's like everyone <laughs> thought that we got the breakfast strategy yeah. wrong i think the easiest thing yeah. would have been to cave into that mm. did you ever get nervous big names. no waiting for breakfast to take no i always thought it was brilliant and, and just ear to the ground and listener reaction we also know that whether it was michael jen or Boga and glenn and sydney 
our, to our audience, and our cumulus growing all the time, they love them. And we can see in our own research, the passion for our presenters amongst our listeners is as high, if not higher, than the passion for other presenters on, on other, other radio stations. So beyond smooth i appreciate they're not all household names but within our world we're not two million cume um they're super fans with with all of our audience so we knew we knew we were onto something but it just takes time mm-hmm. and i know it's uh, terribly boring to everyone when i can't keep going <laughs> and we'll keep going and it will take a bit more time mm-hmm. and there's ups and downs but you, you really can plot almost year in year out if we start we started in the twos we got to the sort of five shares quite quickly as tony says i think it was one year and one month we hit a six and we spent that year broadly in the 60s. But every time you rise, you dip. I remember getting to 7.5 and then two or three books later, we're back in the fives. It's just that kind of push-pull thing. But there's a definite upward trend for four or seven years, mm. literally, till mm. we get to the point where more often than not, we can achieve nines and tens. Yeah. And, and I think numbers say one thing, but I, when you start picking up the buzz out and about on the street and in taxis and, you know, in, in long listening environments, like waiting rooms and hairdressing salons, and when you started picking up the listening there and, you know, you know, certainly I remember the first time that I really knew that something was going on. I was waiting for my daughter to come home from school camp, sitting out the front of her school with a whole bunch of mums. And I overheard four or five mums talking about Smooth um, and just talking about how much it's a, you know, guilty pleasure and they listen all the time. And I kind of listened in and I was just... And there was a real pride to them talking about discovering Smooth and listening. And if you heard... And they were talking about the music and the presenters in a way that obviously they were... Um, they were already starting to cotton on to what we were doing. That was the moment above numbers and ratings that I kind of knew, oh, something's going on. And then every time we'd get in a ca- taxi and it was on, we'd, we'd come back into the office, hey, oh, my taxi had smooth on. That the, You know, when more and more of those occasions happened, the more we knew that in those environments, they were going to be the first environments and listening yeah. environments to, to really... Uh, you know, to really have smooth because it was such a format that delivered against those long listening environments. And the great strength yeah. really was what you just said, discovery and word of mouth and people saying they heard this station, there's a real pride about it, it's a badge they wanted to wear and people would talk often about you know, how, how um, this new station had come along and what it was doing and how different it was mm. and you, you can't fast track the growth of that, it has to come naturally over time and I think that's what we've had is real sustained growth over all the years. Tony, you now ratings chat with Paul mm. just probably a fortnight ago now, he mentioned, oh, look, we got there without any billboards, <laughs> <laughs> which was sort of tongue-in-cheek. It was mm. sort of right, too, mm. I guess, wasn't it? Did, did you rewrite the marketing rules in a little, in a way, for, for the audience you wanted for school? <coughs> yeah, look, as I said before, we, were, we, we really wanted to set the brand up on a platform and a platform that could then be extended. Um, so we weren't treating this as a radio uh, a radio launch, which we, we, we took the approach of... Of launching this as a brand, I think, um, uh, and that and that and that had a lot of emotion around. It. So the relaxed proposition was really important, and that could extend into a lot of other things. So, so you know, we've obviously, you know, we've launched the Smooth Channel on Foxtel, um, the Festival of Chocolate, um, a whole range of extensions around, you know, a wine club, and you know that that's that's proven that the the brand had strength and equity that we could then extend beyond just it being a radio brand. I think that. Um, that allowed us to to build smooth radio brand um, whilst doing a lot of other things that weren't necessarily radio focused. So, so yeah, we did write rewrite the marketing rules. I think we aimed really high at launch, and the Bublé thing was a real. You know, we that that 
you know, think, oh, well, that's great. You just got an ambassador to launch your brand for you. I mean, you've got to remember at the time that wasn't really something that was being done in Australian radio. He was also, you know, Michael Bublé is a big name. He came on board, you know, we didn't, there was no commercial deal around Michael Bublé, which was great because we didn't have to pay him, but it was also had its issues. Other than that there would be upside for him out of that deal. He obviously... That would help promote him in the Australian market. Well, he had, and yeah, therefore he had a sell a lot, more, the radio station sell a lot more tickets and, and albums, playing his right? music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but not having a commercial deal with someone also mm. came with its risks because I, I effectively got on a plane to, to, to fly over to uh, Los Angeles to film a, a commercial with Michael Bublé. I was still not 100% sure that he was going to turn up. <laughs> so so I'd, I'd kind of, you know, wave goodbye to everyone back here and said... Because it sounded too good to be true, right? That well, almost. Yeah, yeah, and his schedule was so busy and he was recording and kind of he was up in Canada at the time. We didn't quite know whether... You know, we hadn't had that definitive on this day at this time. So I flew over with a crew, Ted Horton, who was, um, who was uh, directing... And I landed kind of still think, hoping that I was going to come back with a, uh, with a TV commercial. Obviously, you know, what we, what we got was incredible and he, was, he proved to be the, the consummate professional and, and we got great, great content and great TVC out of it. But as I said, we've really, uh, yeah, from that moment on, we knew that taking a bigger approach than just what's our radio need right now was always going to be the right approach. The music... Yeah, um, it's obviously changed significantly, probably from 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 the early days. More or less, is it as the music are becoming more current as each year goes along? A few of the older songs drop off. I think is that's it as simple as that. Absolutely right. We're seven years on, and some of the songs, if we're really honest with ourselves, from the sixties and seventies, just production and tone wise, just stand out. Not necessarily in a good way, even mm -hmm. though they, they can be great songs. So just the, you sometimes jar a little. Um, so we've probably evolved quite a bit from more into the 80s. If our sweet spot was mid-70s or late-70s when we begun, it's now sort of mid-late 80s probably. And I think over time, um, we've got the permission from the audience to play a few more contemporary tunes as well. And that, that is how much has changed. I, mean, I, I can remember... When we were launching, we thought we should probably look at the music just in terms of testing some songs. And you know, Michael Bublé's done the ad, it's all about to start. And his songs came down the bottom. And so did a bunch of others we wanted to play in the station. We were researching them to people who were listening to the 95.3, 91.5 frequencies. Um, so I think we knew in day one we just had to run our own race with the music. We are presenting to the audience a lot of songs that just hadn't been heard before. So it either worked spectacularly well because it would be fresh and exciting to discover a lot of this stuff. Or, or indeed it wouldn't. And I think we probably brought a lot of people into radio as well and really did change the dynamics. So to do that, though, we had to start, I felt, to be really unique and very different to everyone else. So we played a lot more 60s, a lot more 70s records, and quite a few of those have probably dropped off over the years and um, been replaced by uh, maybe more 90s. But as you say, you know, we're seven years on from where we were. Um, times are different. Tony, you talked about the, um, the school pickup and hearing people talking about the brand. Something that really showed off the power of the brand for a lot of people was you were also mentioned at the Smooth um, Festival of Chocolate. Mm. Um, I think you had two years down at Darling Harbour, or was it uh, down no, at the... we had four years four at years Darling Harbour. Four years at Circular yep, Quay and yep, around there, yep. around the rocks. Yep, yeah, around um, the rocks, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, commercial pressures helped... You moved it last year mm. to a little bit further. Mm. What What's the future of that? The um, Look, we, we were humbled by the success the festival of chocolate caused some problems like it was almost too successful wasn't yeah it? and one of the like it wasn't just commercial pressures that forced us to move but with obviously a fair bit of focus around um 
um, protections around potential terrorist acts. Um, the the city council forced once you get into crowd numbers of a hundred. 140 yeah, so, odd thousand we, so just set the scene there. We, it was all around the rocks and Circular Quay. Yeah. You had crowds of what, 100,000 plus? Yeah, the like, final just year. Just taking was a, over the joint. Yeah, 140,000 was the final wow. year um, across two days. Spectacular location with a beautiful view. We were really lucky with the weather the whole way through. Incredible stallholders, and you know, anyone would deem that a huge success. The pressure that was put on us is that our we, the footprint that we needed to take to ensure that we had the right terrorism protocols in place meant that we effectively had to extend well beyond and security and the cost therefore yeah became beca- became okay. an issue so we moved it to we moved out to Homebush and ticketed the event um look we we're not going to put on that event as it stands um this year i think you know five years of that event was incredible and you know we we um we're doing something else this year which we'll come out and and talk to you talk to you um about but yeah that sort of thing showed that when you get families and that people in that environment interacting with your brand over two days and that level of people we knew that 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 was such a strong marketing exercise for the brand sure so you've got this powerful station in sydney and melbourne (coughs) you can listen to the brand digitally in Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth, Perth, correct? Is there upside for that, do you think? I mean, could you do better? Because it's still early days for digital and stations in Australia, isn't it? It is, but it's early days, but growing. We have some decent cumes there. I got into a taxi in Brisbane two weeks ago. (laughs) I actually had smooth on. (laughs) Amazing. Um, So, of course, we would have aspirations to be heard everywhere by everybody, Mm. and we always do what we can to to promote you. Yeah, yeah. But I would imagine that as people get used to more to listening via apps and on their phones and and less to traditional sort of analogue broadcasts, if you like, that, yeah, there's a big audience there that, that could come on board. Oh, certainly for the format Sydney yeah. and Melbourne and the ratings have proven that, absolutely. Mm. Have you been able to monetize the brand? And I guess the missing person in here is uh, Pete Charlton, I guess your commercial guy, but or will that come now that you're really established as a market leader? Is there sort of... Um, no, well, short answer is absolutely yes. yes. It's, uh, it's an incredible format because um, if, you, if you compare it to... You know, a lot of other radio stations have got a huge, uh, huge cost, uh, cost base. Smooth is, you know, a pretty efficient station to operate and run. Um, and now being the number one station in Sydney and Melbourne, the top line revenue results are incredibly strong. Um, with the cost base being what it is, it's an incredibly profitable radio station. So uh, if Pete Charm was here and he's not, um, <laughs> um, so we can talk about that. Pete's done a really, really good job of building, um, building its presence in the marketplace. And remember, it's only two stations, so it's not it's not a full national network. Mm. So, so to build the the level of revenue um, in City of Melbourne that, that Pete has, and the demand for the station off the back of it being two 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 markets only and not a national network, um, you know, Pete's done a stellar job on that. So. Yeah, yeah. Um. The marketplace, we've talked to you, Paul, at at rating surveys about lots of other stations now playing in a very similar space, Mm. you know, which has left some maybe gaps elsewhere in the market. We we won't talk about that now. But but for Smooth, is it a little bit harder um, now that there's, you know, similar music, especially in the daytime, morning and afternoon? 
Uh, we could let ourselves think that, um, but I don't really. We just run our own race, super focused on ourselves occasionally, and we'll have a glance and see what everybody else is playing or doing. Um, but for, for Smooth, really to be true to ourselves, to be doing it for our listeners, to understand what our audience wants is paramount. And um, we can just continue to evolve our product and try and align that with our listeners' wants and expectations. Um, I do appreciate, I guess people move in, in crowds that way. So when you go back to the start of the conversation, it was three stations playing classic rock, and now you know, they sort of veer to chasing the station that's most successful. So yeah, we do notice that more people are playing the sort of songs that, that we might play. Um, but I think you know, we're in the strongest position, should, should that be the case. Mm. And what's so uh, we'll sort of to, to wind this sort of examination of the uh, of the birthday of, of Smooth FM. What, what's for the future? I mean, Tony, marketing. You mentioned probably some new event to replace the, the Festival of Chocolate. Um, what other things are on the horizon? Uh, yeah, so we that there's there's we've got really exciting plans coming up this year for the balance of year f- from a marketing perspective, um, which will you know we won't reveal now, obviously, but. Um, uh, the, the the consistency of what we've done, as PJ said, the consistency of how we've approached the station from a format um, and a product standpoint matches perfectly with the consistency we're taking from a marketing perspective. We believe that there is still huge upside opportunity in the smooth radio brand. Um, there are we've got an incredible amount of P two listeners, or you know. Um, uh, who are not the not the loyalists of the station, but you know have a have a repertoire of stations. We believe there's a whole bunch of them that we can f- still firm up. And they become what P1 P1s. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, and there's a few tweaks we're making right now um, to ensure that happens. Um, and so we've just done a piece of research, uh, pretty significant piece of research. That was done by the same people that did our um, Nova uh, Nova rebranding and refresh research that we did a number of years ago, and that piece of research has been an incredibly powerful piece that that has given us direction on what we should do over the next six months. Um, so we are not sitting on our hands. We, you know, we might have a number one station. People go, well, "Why are you researching the potential of the station when you're a number one in both markets?" I think that's the uh, that's the approach that we take in here at Nova Entertainment, that we're never complacent. Um, it's actually a really good time when you're number one station in both markets to do a piece of research like that because you're not trying to fix a problem. You're trying to unlock an opportunity, and that's certainly why we did this piece. So there'll be a bunch of things that come out as a result of that from product, from marketing, um, and we're also working on a big piece around um kind of what we call our partnership strategy or our extension strategy, which is new and exciting things that sit around the brand. You know, we've got a wine club, we've got, you know, a festival of chocolate, we've got a TV station. Um, so this is really informing what we're doing next around other other activity or other acquisitions or partnerships that, that will continue to extend the brand. So there's a bunch of things that are going on right now and we're pretty excited about what's being thrown up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We'll look forward to that with interest. Yeah. Could you yep. do it? Could you do a few more events with um, music artists, maybe? Because it's mm. it's getting harder for me to blend in with the, no- <laughs> <laughs> the Nova with audience the on, the, yeah, on yeah. these Red Room tours. Yeah, so if yeah, you can yeah. get some travel and um, artist um, experiences for your smooth audience, few and far between. But when yeah. we've done them, I'm, I'm, yeah, they have. I mean, Spandau yeah. Ballet was a memorable. Yeah, one. that was a memorable. I mean, passion points are important: food, wine, music, travel. Those sort of things are all really important around the smooth listener. Um, so expect a few things around that. Okay, Paul, what's 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 for you now? You've got the you know your number one FM in um, 
in uh, Sydney, number two by not not too much in Melbourne, um, number one afternoons and drive in Melbourne. What, what's your job now? Well, we've got to keep on keeping on. I mean, you you you, know, you never quite get there. There's always another book around the corner, and you can be up one moment and da- down the next. And so we we have such a wonderful team of people that actually really care about this product so much. Nothing is left unturned. People still get excited when we link the songs together, you know, in the same key, and they, they sound terrific. Yeah. The small detail here is you know, what really drives people on. Um, and you know, I say we've been consistent, but we've also evolved from a very different product from seven years ago. So it's just it's the small tweaks as we go, day in day out, that you know, keep making the product aligned with what, what people want. We'll continue to do that, and hopefully continue to score really strong numbers. Yeah. So by the by the sound of it, the, the challenge is just as great now, really, as almost back when you started. You've it's just different. You've got it never gets easier. Yeah, yeah. It's just, and the, it's just the passions there. You've you've worked hard to get it here. Now you want to work as hard or not harder to keep it there. Right? Absolutely. And as Tony says, mm-hmm. lots of opportunities. We have such permission with such um, so many listeners who love the brand so much to take it into different areas as well. So there's lots more opportunities and lots more to come. Happy birthday, boys! Thanks for joining Media Week. Tony Thomas, Paul Jackson. Thank you. Thanks, James.